Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Chad Braverman is a dynamic second-generation leader steering the company, Doc Johnson, with an innovative vision and a robust business acumen. He was taking over the reins of a legacy created by his father, Ron Braverman, who transformed a small rubber goods company into the Doc Johnson in 1976, one of the largest adult toy companies in the world. Chad has been instrumental in elevating the family business to new heights since joining in 2004. Equipped with a business degree from the University of Miami, he has blended traditional business strategies with modern creativity, significantly contributing to Doc Johnson's impressive $135 million in revenue as of 2021. His leadership has not only solidified Doc Johnson's position as an industry pioneer in quality, innovation, but also emphasized the importance of self-care and well-being through these adult products, these pleasure products. His dedication to pushing boundaries and fostering this culture of continuous improvement in the company ensures that Doc Johnson has always remained at the forefront of its industry, offering individual products that enhance daily lives and provide relaxation to individuals. His role running Doc Johnson is a testament to the enduring impact of family legacy skillfully adapted to meet the evolving needs of the modern consumer. Just a note, this is a podcast that contains some adult topics. If you have kids in the room, this is probably not the podcast for them. So please listen on your own time. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Quick shout out to HubSpot. Before we get started, HubSpot has an incredible tool called Sales Hub. If you haven't checked it out now, you got to. Why? Well, you know what time it is. It is sweater weather football season Q4. This is the home stretch for your business. It is time to close out another year of growth, another year of business building strong, and to prep for the next year of more revenue, more customers, more deals. To bring in more business this Q4 and beyond, you need sales software that helps you score, and top tools are all inside the new HubSpot Sales Hub. With a customizable prospecting workspace, smart deal management, and AI-powered apps, you can take total control of your sales operation and manage your people and your pipeline with ease. They've built it and designed it all into an accelerated workflow baked right into your HubSpot CRM. And when you pair Sales Hub with other hubs like HubSpot's Smart CRM, your team will be on the same page across the entire customer journey. Leads don't slip through the cracks. Stop sticking to the same old strategies and start closing more deals because the best time to score is Q4. Make the switch to HubSpot Sales Hub at HubSpot.com slash sales.
So if you, if you talk to my dad who founded the company uh, back in 1976, at the time, Johnson was one of the most popular surnames in the world. So it was familiar. And then Doc, the, the concept around Doc was sex toys. This industry started as marital aids. And that's kind of what they were referred to. So almost like medical aids in a way, people kind of thought like there was a, which is funny now today, there's a health and wellness aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And back then, I think this whole industry was trying to gain legitimacy. So doc was doctor, but more friendly. It's like if you grew up in a small town and you had sort of like your local doc, you know, yeah. and it was like, Doc friendly and 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 you kind of feel comfortable with it. Johnson, you're familiar because it's an extremely popular surname around the world. Um, and you put those two together and it's Doc Johnson. I mean, I always kind of mess with him that he had to have known Johnson also meant Dick. <laughs> yeah, and, I was gonna say, <laughs> you know, and 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 that that's one of the things we're really known for, but um he holds pretty steadfast that this was really just about taking something that was extremely taboo at the time that people were uncomfortable with um, and making it comfortable and um, something that they were felt, you know, familiar with. And and, you know, I, I sort of looked into his background and he came from, I guess, the rubber industry and then he pivoted and maybe even explain like that pivot because this is you know now i would say that this is more of a culturally accepted kind of business obviously but i don't know where we were at in in the 70s i'm, I'm sure it wasn't as as much the norm as it is right now so what was the mindset of somebody pivoting to this kind of industry what's the industry called is it like i say sex toys what is it what's the actual vernacular yeah, I, 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 I think the very well-known uh, term would be sex toys. Okay. You know, if someone asks me what I do and I want to just be very forthright, I'm going to say I make sex toys. Um, in 2023, what's my normal answer? I work in the sexual health and wellness industry. Um, you know, I think that that really, truly, I believe in my heart that that's what we are. Uh, I believe that that is where we sort of like better people's lives and why our product is super important. Mm -hmm. um, I've been around from the sex toy days. Well, I, I guess I should say adult novelties, sex toys, uh, into pleasure products. I still believe pleasure products is a better name than sex toys. But overall, like the overarching theme to me is sexual health and wellness. So when so when he when he first started when your dad started this company is what I mean like why did he why did he go down this path this is like a very interesting business to start yeah so I'll give you sort of the like you know the the five minute special on that <laughs> basically what a lot of people don't know is in America the adult market was sort of centered in Cleveland Ohio okay. Um, one of the original sort of like founders and, and main, main players in this industry was from Cleveland, Ohio. And a lot of distribution and, and, and different categories in our industry in the way beginning kind of started there, almost like this like central hub in the Midwest. 
and kind of pushed out from there. Mostly to the east coast, of course, but definitely out onto the west coast a little bit as well. The west coast was a little bit later starting more of like the content side of things and the filming side of things. Um, but at that time, it was magazines, it was movies, VHS, very, very, very little um, like novelties, but it still did have some novelties. My dad is from Cleveland, Ohio. Met, was at the right place at the right time, met some people in the industry, got connected, um, started working, um, and was his main job was sales. He was basically running magazines up and down the East Coast. Um, making relationship with store owners, making relationships with different people, um, selling magazines and, you know, that sort of, uh, grew into more things. Um, as he kind of progressed within the, within the organization, he ended up moving, uh, to London and to Amsterdam and he had retail stores in both locations. And when he was in Europe, he saw that novelties, the sex toys, was a much bigger uh, category in the retail locations than it was in the US. In the US, it was a real afterthought. It was like shrink-wrapped in a bargain bin in the back because the real money maker in the stores in those days were the peep booths and the and the uh, and the tapes and the magazines, and he felt that taking some of what he learned from Europe, he felt that novelties could play a much bigger role in America, and he felt like the use and the and the 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 the, the discussion and the acceptability around product was going to become greater in the US. So he moved to Los Angeles. He purchased a small manufacturer here in North Hollywood. It's actually still the site that we're on right now. Like I'm coming to you live from awesome. North Hollywood. <laughs> um, yeah. And they were a company that made a bunch of different products in the rubber market, including some very, very, very limited like adult products. Um, he purchased that company and, and, and in doing so, what he really purchased was the machinery, the connections to the material. And then what he decided was, I want to be 100% adult novelties. So he started making butt plugs and dildos and dongs and all that other sort of stuff. All, all the stuff you saw in Europe, 19th... all the stuff you saw in Europe that was already in, yeah. in that market. Yeah. It was doing exactly. well. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. And, um, yeah, I mean, basically the, 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 the rest is sort of like history, as they say, because there was a massive demand and there was no supply. So the company grew, it exploded very, very, very quickly. Like, you know, he was in a small footprint making a few products and really within a year we were in a 75,000 square foot facility, um, you know, dozens of, 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 of machines making uh, a catalog that was already 200, 250 products deep. So he just like, this is really interesting. You see these, you see these opportunities overseas. I think it actually happens the opposite way too. Now you see a lot of people 
take ideas that happen in the U.S. or that are culturally relevant in the U.S. and they take them overseas and they sort of copy them in Europe. But for for your dad, for it was it was the exact opposite. So we saw this cultural shift. Yeah. Well, it was opposite, really, because if you just look at like America versus Europe, even still today, Europe is just more, you know, they're more open, yeah. they're more free. This is not taboo. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're not taboo right now anymore at all. We probably haven't been for quite some time, but there are still massive circles in this country that, you know, this is not something that you would be very you know, clear on telling someone what you did or might not be accepted at a certain uh, at a certain club or whatnot all over this country. And in Europe, I mean, sex toys are sold, you know, everywhere. Yeah. Um, and that's happening today, too. I mean, you can find sex toys at, at any food drug mass location in this country, too. But they've been being sold in pharmacies in Europe for 20 years. OK, so we obviously we are behind. There's probably... I don't know the I don't know the culture of, of Europe compared to the U.S., but there's like you know religion is not <laughs> kosher with with a lot of the sex toys and a more regressive culture overall. So I guess that makes sense. But this is still seventies. I didn't realize that this would be taboo in the seventies. It seems like seventies was not so regressed. Free love. Yeah. Yeah, I, and it, and it was. I mean, listen again. That the, the demand was there. So it, this is always about not who's buying. Mm. It, or if there is a buyer, it's more about who's talking about it, who's openly accepting it. Um, you know, not to mention there's a lot of other issues that we even still have to this day, just business wise. When you run a business in the adult industry, you do not have the same capabilities and options available to you that someone in a more traditional business has mm -hmm. on day one. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking of... So I can have a successful 47-year-old company yeah. and not be able to get insurance through a major carrier. <laughs> That's someone who literally has no um, experience or no historical um, sales could get on day one of opening their company. That's actually wild. I was thinking of like the cannabis example where it's impossible to run ads because nobody wants to, you know, well, same. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, we can't run ads. We get shadow banned on Instagram all the time. We can't post 90% of our product on Instagram. Um, you know, we really can't do anything on TikTok. Um, we can't run advertisements in mainstream magazines or mainstream websites. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all that is true too. So when we say that it's not taboo anymore, it's all over, you know, entertainment. Everyone's talking about it. No one's really embarrassed anymore. You could go to dinner with 10 women tonight and ask them if they own a sex toy and they're not going to be like, oh my God, like, <laughs> I can't believe you. Like, they'd be like, yeah, I own yeah. 10. But yeah. I don't think people do know that even today in 2023, the type of issues that myself and, and my counterparts deal with just by being in the adult industry. So let, let's talk about that because really, really, this is interesting to me. So let's talk about first how, how you know, you said your dad built the company because there was this cultural shift. There was, you know, more demand than supply. Um, but then you have other competitors come into the market. Um, give me give me like a, an idea of where where the company was when you started working and you started taking over and you started running with it. 
That's a good question. I mean, I you know, on one hand, extremely solidified, one of the major players in the industry. Definitely at that point, probably I would say we, you know, definitely had lost some 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 major ground to a lot of competitors. There were just a lot of people in the industry from when my dad first started to when I started, which uh, next year will be 20 years for me. Um, you know, and I know when I came in, um, definitely it wasn't the only reason I came here. I, I, I came here for lots of reasons, but one of the main reasons I came here was because I definitely felt like an opportunity with the, with the company itself and as well as the industry at large. Like I really felt like this was a one generation old industry. I wasn't kind of stepping into this like machine that just kind of needed to be oiled a little bit. It's like, I really needed to be like a player in the company. I needed to take the company in different directions if we were gonna continue to be here for like another 40 years, you know? Um, So I feel like the brand name has always been really strong. Um, Our relationship with our customers and our sort of like foothold in the industry when I came in, like I said, was really solidified, but there was a lot of people doing different stuff. And I felt like maybe Doc was maybe resting on its laurels a little Mm. bit back in 2004 when I first came in. And, you know, that that's usually a, a side effect of of being one of the first movers, right? And then what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to be the blockbuster. You don't want to be the people that created the market and then you get displaced and disrupted. So what's... I'm, I'm Well, success yeah. breeds complacency always. too sometimes. Like yeah. very simple, like if it's always worked and you've always made money from it, it's hard to pivot. You know, and, and this company was run by one person and, and you know, and, 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 and definitely a team always, but there's, you don't want to be the one that's like, okay, we're not going to do this anymore because this isn't the future when this has been so successful for us for the last 30 years. Well, that's, what's wild. You, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but this, this was, you never raised for this company. You, you like I know the I no. think I don't know you want to talk numbers or whatever if you, if you want to I I know there's public numbers that I can Google but the revenue on zero raise is actually like super super impressive with 100% equity ownership. I think so. Yeah, I mean this this industry has been successful. It's been self-sufficient and you know really we're not we're not unique. I mean, you look at my industry and all the numbers that you can google pretty much are 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 estimates mm-hmm. because almost every company in this industry is privately held. So, okay, so when you take this over, there's oh, very yeah. few raises and there's very few uh public entities in this industry very few on any level of the uh, 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 of of the industry i mean from retail stores to distributors and wholesalers to manufacturers i would go out on a limb and say 95% of this industry is is 100% owned by an individual or individuals. Why is that? Privately. Do you have owned. an idea of why that is? Like, why doesn't private equity come in, scoop something up? Well, sure. For, 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 for let's say the industry's 50 years old, yeah. right? Like, just let's just put that number on it, give or take it is. For 40 of those years, no one would give you a dollar. Mm-hmm. No one would give adult people money because they didn't see the benefit in it and they didn't see the exit strategy in it. And they weren't wrong. I mean, outside of the fact that the, that the industry was successful and most companies were making money and were profiting, a lot of the private equity money and the investors and the strategic investors, they're coming in for an exit plan. Mm-hmm. 
And there's really not a lot of exit plans in my industry unless you're gonna sell to a bigger company than yours or to a new set of investors or private equity, you're not gonna sell to Procter & Gamble. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, You know, you're not gonna go on Shark Tank. Yeah. So it, it, there was a reason that actually did make sense, but it, it's almost it was almost a, a, a nice benefit that we lacked that option because a lot of people in this industry were able to hold on to their companies 100% and become successful and these companies were profitable. So you that that's that's super impressive but then I'm trying to think of you know even before again when we jumped on we we're talking about brand equity and you own this company free and clear you've never raised money but it doesn't have the same brand equity that a household name that's selling products at a similar revenue level would normally have. And I'm curious as to why that is. I'm curious as to whether or not it's just because the industry is new, probably a part of it. Um, and how do you solve for that? And also just sort of thinking deeper, why it's so important to solve for that is because when you have a widget like this, that I think I know, I mean, the majority of your of your workforce is in the US. If you have a widget like this, some competitor could come along. And if you don't have that brand equity, I know you've spoken about this a few other times before in some of the articles I've read, these copycat products, these outsourced to China products could come along and, and displace. So how do you, first of all, why do you think there's not as much brand equity in some of the players in this industry? How do you solve for it? Obviously we're doing it right now, but outside of this interview how do you solve for it and then how do you fight back against these copycat products i know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and netsuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs for business owners because there's one thing that we all know business is about making money and it's about your bottom line and the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business the more profits you keep but these days everything is costing more supplies people shipping it squeezes your margins and i've been there juggling multiple systems for finance inventory you name it each with its own cost and its own set of headaches that's why i made the switch to netsuite by oracle it's changed our company think about it netsuite is one of the top financial systems out there it puts your whole business on one platform accounting finance the works one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution. It's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now, and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password 
takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC, everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepasswordcom Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepasswordcom Clary for two weeks free. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally checked something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. So both very good questions and both hard answers, you know, with the copycat product, I'll take on the easier Mm -hmm. one, maybe, which is the copycat products, like definitely very difficult. And it's been increasingly difficult even in the last 20 years that I've been here, because a lot of the numbers that do get published about this industry, whether they're estimates or not, they're pretty eye opening. And so I think a lot of people look to get into this industry, they find a little niche that they can attack. And, you know, they eat away at, 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 at shelf space, you know, and if enough people come in attacking little niches all the time for a company like mine, that's kind of like a one-stop shop. Yeah. Like I make product in every category in this industry. If you can think of it, like I guarantee you, I probably make it. Whereas a lot of my competitors, they don't, they only make like 10 or 15 vibrators that are like for women, Mm -hmm. you know, or this company over here only makes BDSM product. And that's all they focus on all day long. Or this company over here only makes lubricant or they only make cock rings. There's a lot of companies that that's what they've decided to do. And they get to come into work every day and focus on one thing and one thing only and try to be the best at that. And I come into work and my team comes into work and we're kind of like, Okay, well, we're making lubricant and we're making cock rings mm-hmm. and we're making BDSM products and we're making vibrators and we've got to compete with all of these other companies out there that like that's what they're doing all day, every day and trying to sell our same customers that they make a better product than us because that's what they focus on. So for us, it's like a combination of, yes, the brand equity that we do have within the industry, which is very high. And that's different than the brand equity we have outside of the industry, which I will admit is very low. And that's kind of the second part of your question that I'll get to. But within the industry, our brand equity is very high. And we have great relationships with our customers. We have expertise on all different levels of R&D and product manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And we are known within the industry to make a very good product. So for us, it's a 
a combination of relationships. It's a combination of our size and our ability to get our sales force out there in front of our customers, store trainings, um, you know, retail trainings, distributor trainings, etc. cetera, um, that we're able to kind of, you know, bully ball, I guess, in a way, like our ability to kind of say like, here's why you should be taking like our product in this category versus this product. Or here's why our product's a good add to this category with these other products that you already keep. Um, so, you know, it's, it's continuing to stay on top of like what we do and how we do it and, and, and try to do it better, mm-hmm. try to be unique, you know, whether that's packaging or the way that we market a product, like, you know, I will take our team 10 out of 10 times against copycat items out there. The copycat items a lot of times are really going after one thing and one thing only, and that's price point. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, sometimes it's a hard battle. I'm not going to lie. Like, there's there's shelves that we have lost that I don't know if we're going to get back. Because you have, I think it's you like, know, 70, I can't. I was going to say 75% of your products made in the US. So there's going to be somebody who's yeah. able to make it cheaper. 100%. Yeah. Now we can go into that, but that number is not 100% true anymore because we've moved. The majority of our manufacturing, we actually opened a facility six years ago down in Mexicali. Okay. So we own a manufacturing facility down in Mexicali, and we are actually producing the majority of our product down in Mexico right now. Um, Part of that was expansion that we didn't have the ability to do here. And then when COVID hit, there were things that we couldn't do here due to closures and, and other restrictions that we were able to do down in Mexicali. That took what was originally an expansion and kind of made it a transition. And that transition has kind of started to roll, unfortunately, just due to the fact that making product or anything for that matter in Los Angeles, California, it's kind of like the hardest place on (laughs) earth that you can try to make a product at a price competitive, at a price competitive rate. And at a certain time, you just got to look up and be like, okay, my product has a ceiling Here's what I'm competing with. And if I'm way here, I don't think I have the brand equity with or without the in or with in or outside of the industry to compete any longer. And so then that becomes a question of do I just put my head down and keep making American made product just for the sake of American made product? Mm-hmm. Or do I start to transition that to a location where I can make product at a better price? You know, so. I'm curious as to your experience when you're going into all these retailers, because you obviously see a cultural shift. People are more accepting of this. So now you're not just putting lube at a CVS or you're not just selling direct to consumer and you're not just selling in these super niche adult stores. Um, I guess some of your products are like on Walmart shelves at this point. And when you have a conversation with that buyer, you're already, well, I don't know. Are you already facing stigmas because of the industry? that you have to overcome compounded with all these outsourced. Is it made in us? Is it made in China? Do they have, do they ask you these questions? Is it like a harder conversation from the get go? No, not at all. I mean, so within my industry, no, there's no stigma of course, yeah. cause we're all kind of one of the same outside of the industry. There's not, it's, it's weird right now. We're in a very interesting place. Everybody wants these products. And every one of these sort of like, let's call them food drug mass companies, 
have a head buyer in charge of my category, they will tell you, this is the fastest growing segment on their shelves. They want this product. They want more of this product. But sort of like the powers that be, they want a controlled expansion. Okay. They don't want to bring in as much as maybe they know they should. Because I don't think they want to have like a massive shelf of adult products on their store. Interesting. Is there a certain... Because I think they feel like there's going to be a bigger pushback to that. If, if you saw um, just like a row of the, dildos uh, at Walmart <laughs> and you were like... Well, like I think it's like... I don't know if I'm using this term the right way, but like in the zeitgeist of, yeah. of like conversations, I don't think that's what they want to be associated with. It's like they know it's a moneymaker. They know it's their fastest growing category. So it's kind of like... I almost feel sometimes it's almost like hush, hush, mm. like, yeah, keep buying more of it, but like, don't buy too much, <laughs> you know? And then like the shelf grows and grows and grows and grows. And like, could they at this point probably have a shelf this big? Like, yes, but they keep the shelf this big and they keep it behind plastic. Do you, do you even uh, like almost downplay the cosmetic packaging so that it's not as, I don't know, like in your face? Is that something that they would request? I think we think about that with everything we do now, you know, it's like, you know, again, going back to the idea that we make a lot of product for a lot of categories. On one hand, it's great. On the other hand, it's a, it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> um, you know, because you do have to focus on a lot of different things at once. And sometimes I hate to say, you know, are you sort of like a jack of all trades, master of none? Mm hmm. You know, um, and that's a conflict that I, I deal with personally. Like there are times where I'm like, I, I, maybe we do too much. Maybe this isn't the right way anymore. Maybe this has been the successful, you know, plan, but isn't the right plan for the future. Um, but on the good side, we do get to kind of like Doc Johnson as an entity is not marketed towards one person we take our brands and market those towards the market that we're going after with that specific brand. Okay. So that's where we get to play with our packaging. Some of our packaging is super upscale and discreet and you know, you could find it on any shelf and feel like it's it's in company of other products of of that mm -hmm. look and feel and then we have stuff that's way more in your face and way more aggressive because guess what? That's what kind of product it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I make, I make big dildos. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I know. So I'm and, just wondering, and, 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 I'm thinking and, of a Walmart and, you know, shelf. Masturbators and, <laughs> yeah. but they don't, they don't buy that stuff. Yeah. They don't buy that stuff. What do they buy? And, I, and we know that we know uh, vibrators, okay. um, lots of personal care and cosmetics, lubricants yeah. and ancillary items like that. Um, they're expanding though. I mean, they, they, they do buy some like, um, nondescript, um, male masturbatory sleeves now. Okay. What is a nondescript um, they, male masturbatory sleeve? Is it like a, so like for us, one of the things that doc Johnson invented and it's still one of our yeah. biggest, biggest, biggest items is we invented the concept of molding a performer's genitalia. Uh, okay. Okay. So, so we I know what you're talking. Okay. So I, I think I know what you're talking about. I understand now. <laughs> I've never heard it described that way. I know you way. know what I'm talking yeah. about. 
<laughs> Never well, heard it in such eloquent right? terms. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's fair and not fair on everything, this podcast. Everything's so fair on say, this podcast, bro. Like what? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say. I don't want to say we mold pussies and dicks. I was gonna say it's like I think you call it like a pocket uh, pussy. Or- <laughs> Something like that. I don't think you. Yeah. So that's our yeah. that's our name. Yeah. Uh, uh, but our bigger our bigger brand for that now is is a brand called Main Squeeze, okay. and that is a brand that's just centered around female genitalia, um, you know, and and um, and 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 the success of the performer. Yeah. That that product is based on. We do the same thing on the male side. We have a line called Signature Cox. Yeah. And then it's also okay. it's, it's modeled it's after. Yeah, male. okay. They don't buy that. They're not gonna buy anything that looks like a mouth or a butthole or a vagina. But we'll also make items that are literally just, you know, very, very like the same material. So super like soft, um, textured sleeves mm-hmm. that a man can use as a masturbatory aid. And it just has a hole. It, it's completely nondescript. It doesn't look like anything. It's just a it's just a a rubber for lack of a better word, soft sleeve that a man can use, yeah. you know, instead of using his hand. When when you do these models, do you get like is it like an influencer exclusive agreement that you work with one performer and that performer cannot lend their genitalia to any other company? Is it that kind of agreement, or can you have somebody else that yes. makes the same thing? Because that's your IP then. No, no, yeah, no. For us, it's exclusive or no deal. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for us, you know, because, you know, it for us, again, that's where we, that is one of the areas where we can eliminate copycats. We can't eliminate the category, but we can eliminate, you know, the actual IP around the performer. So we work with some of the biggest performers in the industry, you know, on all sides, yeah. right? And, and, um, and, um, we want to make sure that that particular performer and hopefully the the growth of that particular performer's success mm-hmm. relates back to Doc Johnson and not like, oh, you can go get this person's product at five other companies. Yeah. So like, are you like, like I, I'm using all these non-industry analogies, but are you like drafting these people on the come up basically? You're looking. Yeah, I mean that's a great way of saying yeah. it. So I would say we have probably two methods, right? One is already very successful, haven't done a product like this before. Go out, work in, you know, try to just get that deal done. Mm-hmm. And then the other way is exactly how you described it, like basically drafting. Yep, looking at a different um, criteria that we sort of put together. Um, also connections that we have with other performers, agents, managers to kind of know, hey, this girl or this guy is playing the game. Yeah. Like they're in it. They're in it to win it. They know what they're going to do and they know they're they're, they're going to do it the right way. And I'll be honest, I've had, I've had interest or, or my team here, we've had interest in performers before and we've been told, no. Interesting. Like, not probably not gonna probably not gonna happen for this one how how uh name numbers or not but i'm just curious to to frame it again like everyone listening to this knows influencer marketing probably 0.001 percent of people know the type of work that you do and as well as you do it um so what's a deal like this when you do a deal to to 
I don't, and I'm also curious how the hell you do that, <laughs> how you how you mold it and whatever. But when you do one of these deals, what is it? It's like a six figure deal, seven figure. It depends on the performer. It, like, are these big numbers we're talking about? Like, like life changing no, numbers? No, okay. No, 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 no. And 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 we're very honest with that. With with everyone up front about that. Okay. This is this is ancillary to to your to your day to day. You know, and right now that day to day. Um, you know, between OnlyFans and other um, content, these particular performers have the ability to be extremely, like, life-changingly successful mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, you see it. This is not some of them the making millions per content. month. It's wild. This is not the adult content industry of ten years yeah. ago. Like post COVID, you're talking about people making tens of millions of dollars a year from their content. Yeah. And so what we're offering is an ancillary item that you can provide to your fans and to all of your viewers uh, that we're gonna go out and market, we're gonna go out and sell to all of our customers. And it's like, it's like something great to have. And yes, it's gonna bring you money, um, but this is not, yeah, you're not, this is not sort of the retirement. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. And and just because I, I need to understand, I guess molding a dick seems like it can make, it makes sense. How do you mold a, a butthole or a vagina? Is there like health risks by, by putting, I don't know, whatever this, this, this type of, uh, so, so yeah. the material that we use is actually like incredibly body safe. It's, it's an alginate, which is basically like a seaweed derivative. Okay. Um, and, and, and you can watch it online. Like you can go to our YouTube channel. We have moldings on there, okay. um, just to kind of get a general concept of what we do, but like for better or worse, it's like, think of this alginate, we mix it with warm water. It kind of turns into like a, I would call it the best description is like a, a, a liquidy silly putty. Mm -hmm. Okay. A girl will lie down on a table in a few different positions, mainly missionary, mainly doggy. Okay. And then we just kind of like smear this sort of like liquid silly putty ish looking material onto the body. Mm -hmm. It cures very quickly, creating like a very, um, a very thin, basically like outer skin. This does not go inside the vagina okay. or the butt or the mouth. This is exterior moldings only. Okay. And then once that alginate has cured, we put like a bandage, like a almost like paper machete. It's like the bandage cures to the alginate and allows it to have a hard removable structure, like a shell. And then what we do is we just sort of the bond between the alginate and the plaster is stronger than the bond between the alginate and the human skin. So we just kind of peel that off and we're just left with this negative impression mm -hmm. of the of the person's uh, of the person's body part. I'm just going to take a quick break. Thank the longtime friend and sponsor of the show, the HubSpot Podcast Network. They have incredible podcasts. One of my favorites, one you have to check out this month is Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew. Now, if you've ever noticed, the smallest changes always seem to have the biggest impact. On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, 
grow a business. The point is, every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice from these incredible entrepreneurs, behavioral scientists, and everybody in between. Not just fast-paced, but very insightful and a must-listen if you're a podcast fan. Make sure you listen to Nudge wherever you love to get your podcasts. Because I would think that out of all the things, you, I think you have, what, 2,500 plus unique items, like just a, a wild amount of different things on your site. And I, I was looking through your site, and I would assume that this particular type of product is probably a very, I'm, I'm very curious about what's popular and what's not, but this seems like it would be a very popular product because I assume that even with OnlyFans, what seems to make OnlyFans so popular is the ability for like the fan or, you know, the person to feel as close to the individual that they're watching on the screen as possible or in whatever yeah. capacity. And this seems like a, this seems like to have something personalized. It seems like that's as close as you're probably ever going to get. Right. So this is much more personal our thing. Yeah. yeah. You hit the nail on, you hit the nail on the head. Like our thing is just like, we are one step closer on the fantasy. Yeah. Okay. You know, this is their identical replication of their private parts. And you can now buy this. You can put the content on your computer um, or on your TV and you can use it. And yes, generally speaking, 99.9% .9 of the human population, this is as close as you are ever going to get to actually having sex with that performer yeah. that you, you know, are a fan yeah. of. Are these, are these some and of the so, highest yeah, it's one best selling out of all the stuff you do? Yeah, this is one of our biggest, I mean, it's one of our biggest categories. Main Squeeze is one of our biggest brands. On the male side, Signature Cox is also one of our biggest brands. Um, I think it is, again, it's something that we've been doing for a long time. It's something we actually truly invented the process of doing it. There's other companies that also do it now. Um, but for us, it's still it's still one of our biggest brands and it's one of our biggest categories. If I group like performer replications into one category, it's probably our biggest category of product that we make. And and explain something else to me because like I I, I know what this device would look like and I know that there's one major competitor that I can name off the top of my head and I won't I won't drop them on the podcast with you, but I know that the 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 structure of this for like for for a guy like the pocket pussy for a guy it's all very similar so is there no ip or copyright infringement on the actual structure of the not of the performer but like the case like that thing seems to be something you could put a patent on for example but i i don't see a patent heavily no. defended anywhere so i, I want to name i want to name who you're talking about because i know who it is that you're talking about because they're the kleenex and, and that's important okay. because we talked about brand equity we didn't we didn't fully finish that conversation about brand equity but like fleshlight yeah. that's who you're talking about they have one of the best brand equity names in the industry and 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 kudos to them like genuinely like they became the kleenex of male masturbatory mm -hmm. items and i'll admit where we're amazing and where we're not like the fact that we invented this process and we're not the Kleenex of male yeah. masturbatory items is something that it kills me, right? It genuinely does. The fact that you don't know the name Main Squeeze the way you know the name Fleshlight, like that is something that I I I it, it, I lose sleep over. It. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> but but again, why are they the Kleenex of these items? 
exactly what you just said. They were the first people to say, we're going to put it in a discrete case mm-hmm. that has a, a, an end cap and a top that when you close these together, this item no longer looks like a masturbator. Mm-hmm. And they patented that. They patented that. Okay. Okay. okay they gotcha. patented that. So they had 13 years of fully 100% unrivaled um, market success with this product. Fleshlight was also a great name. It is. It's a great yeah. name. They made it look like a flashlight. They made it look like a flashlight. And and listen, they fucking knocked it out of the park. I mean, they did. There's nothing to say about it. I mean, um, so the day that their patent was over is the day that we shipped the first main squeeze. Ah, uh, okay. And, I got you. That you know, makes sense. the idea behind the main squeeze that we did that I thought was you know, honestly, for me, makes the product, and this is bias, but for me, it makes the product better, infinitely better, is our product is also in a discrete case, but that case has a squeeze plate built into it. So normally, all these other hard case items, you cannot apply pressure to your penis when you're using it. It's just the pressure that's inherently there from the material inside, mm-hmm. which to me kind of goes against, I think, how man, how men masturbate. Yeah, well, if you're trying to replicate so like a with, real experience, yeah, for sure. So with our item, we and I wish I had one right in front of me, but I don't. But we have a squeeze plate on it. So when you're using it, you can apply pressure via that squeeze plate to your penis as you're stroking. I got you. So it, it, it feels and like a so, real thing. Like, I mean, it's already feeling like a real yeah, thing, but it feels I, more like. I think, I think, I also think that from our R&D and from my experience as a man and other men here on the team, it's especially relevant when a man is close to orgasm that they are going to change the pressure mm-hmm. that they apply when they are close to orgasm. So here you have the ability to actually do that. So main squeeze for us was sort of like a double entendre of like, you can squeeze this product, yeah, but I also like kind of a girl, yeah. kind of a girl that you have on, you know, it's like your main yeah. squeeze. It's a, it's a good name. How do you, so, so, so now you're dealing with this, this 13 year patent and you have a product which you know if somebody listens to this i can guarantee you cuz i'm listening to it right now and i'm like shit that that does sound pretty fucking good um they're going to go out and buy go it. to mymainsqueeze.com yeah, exactly <laughs> so how do you win back that those 13 years of brand equity lost well i mean one of the main listen one of the main ways that you win it back is you know marketing your item yeah. obviously trying to get it out there to the masses have people understand there are ways to market our products even though we can't do it in all the traditional senses that another mainstream company could, but there are ways to do it. And you're marketing kind of directly to the adult market, which is, I actually think for this product, the better place to market. Um, And the other main way though is um, every single product that we make is unique. So we're, we're competing in the category, but we'll never compete on performer. So if you want a Sasha Gray masturbator, you have to buy a main squeeze. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, so 
our biggest way is just to make sure that we have better performers and also that those performers that we work with have more vested into it so that they also promote the product because their reach cumulatively is way greater than Doc Johnson's. Yeah. Do they bring so, they bring a fair amount of their audience over? Like when you partner with a performer, um, do you, like do you have like a percentage of that audience that you you've probably done the math or you've looked at the data that starts to turn turns into a Doc Johnson customer? Yeah. So I mean, the only way we can really do it is through like affiliate links mm -hmm. and stuff like that, which they have promotions on mymainsqueeze.com, which is we have a we have Mainsqueeze is one of the only products in our entire um, company that has its own website. Like you can go to docjohnson.com or shopdocjohnson.com and you can buy every product in our in our catalog as well as main squeezes. But if you want sort of the main squeeze experience and the place that we do promote that product and we have our performers pushing uh, customers to is it has its own website, which like I said, it's mymainsqueeze.com, but like that's the only ca ca um, product in our entire um, company that we do that. Okay, with. okay. Which signifies to me its importance to us as well as its volume, you know? Like we want people to have kind of like a unique experience when they're on that site versus the Doc Johnson mains. That's so interesting. So I would have thought, I wouldn't have, I, I know that that would be a popular product, but I'm looking at your site right now and I'm, you know, okay, so you have cock rings, which I think, I, I don't know what community that serves specifically. I feel like that's not as mainstream for a straight guy to be into cock rings as maybe like a, a I don't know what community that would serve, but I know that like Fleshlight was a popular brand I've heard of before. Obviously that kind of product is super popular for, for whatever. Uh, for straight guys, dildos, I mean, that serves obviously probably a more women audience. They're just massive assumptions, but the dildo the dildo brand, or I guess it's called the D, is that the name of the, the sub brand? They, you yeah. don't have a website for that. So is that, no. why is that? It's just the main squeeze is that, that popular, that... I think the main squeeze is that popular, but it's also because we're working with the performers and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to work directly with, um, with it, we're trying to leverage their, you know, their success, yeah. their followers and everything. We want to push them to a unique experience. You know, I'll be the first to say like, when you go on docjohnson.com, it can be overwhelming. There's a lot of products there. Obviously, if I'm a performer and I'm I'm Chad Braverman and I send you to my link, you're gonna go directly to my page. But on my main squeeze, you're just gonna get a more unique experience based around what we know that specific market segment is looking mm -hmm. for. You know, it's better pictures of the girls, it's more information about the girls, more information about the product. Just having our own unique site for that brand allows us to just like do more. I'm not saying that this is not like a copy and paste thing that we might be doing with more brands in the future, but as of right now, it's better for us to push people to a single destination for like the rest of our products mm -hmm. that don't necessarily leverage performers 
so that you can kind of like, you can see all of our cock rings together. Yeah. Um, and you can see all of our dildos together, not just the D, because the D is one of my brands. I also have the realistic cock. I also have signature stroker. I mean, signature cocks, <laughs> I love like these I mentioned names, dude. before. These are awesome names. Which, which, you know, I want you to see that at the same time, yeah. because if you come to Shop Doc Johnson and you're like, I'm looking for a dildo, I want you to see the 250 dildos right. I have. I don't want you to just see the D because maybe you might not like something at the D, but you're going to like something at realistic Cox, or maybe you're going to see that I, that I molded a performer, a male performer that you really like. Um, I will tell you just so yeah. you know, dildos primarily, uh, women and gay men. I, I, I figure I don't want to make all these assumptions. Cause I don't have the data. I'm just going from my, you know, limited experience and no, I'm not I even mean, that adventurous, but yeah. Women, 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 and women and gay and, and gay males, cock rings, yeah, traditionally more, I would say, probably more prevalent in the gay community just because it's more accepted because I think gay men are a little bit more open with like equipment mm. like this. Like there are ways to use cock rings for straight men that feel very, very good. And I will tell straight men all the time, like you're missing out on an experience if you're not at least trying it. Mm. But another big thing about cock rings that you have to understand where it crosses over to, to just to all men in general is cock rings are very, very big with any man experiencing any ED issues at all. Uh, okay, okay. So the okay. main, main, main purpose of a cock ring from the old days is you are trapping you are trapping blood flow into the penis and allowing that penis to get more erect. Mm -hmm. So if you are you having any ED issues, you're going to have something that's a more penetrable with your. Oh, that's interesting. So it's it's your, not just like yeah, a pleasure so, thing. Well, actually, I, well, it would be a pleasure thing, but it's also a performance thing too. Yeah. Okay. It's definitely a performance thing. Okay. Definitely. Also. ED as well as um, PE, premature ejaculation. So, so that stops it. Interesting. Yes. Yes. So okay. th there's a lot of ways to use a cock ring, um, and 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 the crossover like is is huge. So it, it is really not just straight male or gay male or, or, or this, that, or the other thing. Um, okay. So we got, let's go, we go through the gamut of things that you, you have on this site. So you have vibrators, dildos, a whole bunch of things that sort of fall under men's toys, including cock rings, prostate simulators. Like these are like, I'm so vanilla. Like I don't, I've never, I don't even know what a prostate simulator is. I like the name says what it is, but I don't know if it actually works. You have a whole bunch of bondage stuff, a whole bunch of like anal you toys. Stick it up your butt. Yeah, I, I figured it's not that complicated to figure out. But tell me, like, <laughs> tell me you see trends. You see trends in what people use, what people are, you know, excited to try. So outside of, outside of, you know, we just spoke about the traditional groups or segments that use certain things. What are people trying out? What are people more apt to bring into their relationship, into the bedroom that maybe 10 years ago were not a thing at all? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll ask you, I mean, if you were going to name one thing that you think people talk about more these days and seem to be doing more of yeah. on the body, what part of the body do you think is the one that you feel like everyone's just doesn't care about anymore? Like it's like that people don't care just about anymore. Now. 
Like, it's just normal now. Oh. Like, it's not as big of a deal as it was maybe when you were growing up. Well, I would say that I would say that most guys have some sort of pocket pussy or main squeeze kind of device. I would say that most women have a dildo or a vibrator. I think that's normal. Um, yeah. I would say that I, this is, I, you know, I'm not even that, ex- like, uh, I, I don't I don't try too much shit, but I've heard people that do, like, the BDSM handcuffs, like, stuff like that. But that's something that growing up was kind of like out there right like stuff like that bdsm when we were growing up was like dungeon yeah. i don't know how old you are but i think we're yeah we're, I think we're around the same age it was like weird it was like weird shit so bdsm got big with 50 shades of gray uh, okay okay that's when it became mainstream that's when all these wives and and, and women yeah. read about a guy tying them up and whipping them and you know, doing all this sort of stuff. And it became like, I want that done to me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's relatively new. The thing that I was looking for you to say, that's, that's probably the biggest trend as well in the last X number of years is just butt stuff. Really? You know? uh, like, I've seen yeah, I've always I think been like, you, to me, I, that's like, it grosses me out. <laughs> that's okay. Why. But I think that if you look at mainstream, yeah. like, it, it, do you not agree that you're hearing more people talk about like, I don't know, eating ass oh yeah you're right stuff than ever before yeah yeah, like, yeah you're right to me it doesn't feel like something that anyone cares about anymore like when i was growing up if like a girl was like you can you can you can have anal sex with me yeah. it was like what are you talking about yeah. like you know <laughs> now it's like everyone's like you don't eat ass like what are you talking about no you're right you know it's like the, the, <laughs> I, didn't, I was script, thinking about like Toys specifically, what toys are people using? But yeah, well, so you the reason I brought it up was because you mentioned like prostate massager. So, like, prostate massagers are like really why they got so big and why anal got so big. Women have always been kind of using butt plugs and whatnot. Gay men, of course, have always been using butt plugs and prostate massagers, but it's straight men and they they use this now, you know, it's straight men that are like playing with their prostate, playing with anal sensation and anal play. Yeah, see, I'm I'm, I obviously don't experiment enough because it. It's, it's totally new to me. So this is something. Yeah. Who leads the way? Who leads like the? Um, who leads the trends? Is it like, like you said? Obviously, you have a, a you know a gay guy that's trying prostate massages and and prostate simulation and whatnot. Women have butt plugs, but who leads that? And when do straight men start trying that stuff out? there's no one place to like pinpoint and say, this is when it happened. It's like, we start to notice these trends sometimes again from things that are just happening, like uh, in, in, in the culture, you know, like I said, 50 shades of gray, like every single person, every single company in our industry, we just sold out of any BDSM item that we made. That's wild. Whatever we had in stock was just gone overnight. It was just gone overnight. We've carried a product for 47 years. We maybe sold, I don't know, 200 of them a month, let's say, right? Like just nothing, like just like whatever, maybe even a hundred a month. They're called Benoit balls. Do you know what no, Benoit I have no balls idea, are? Dude. <laughs> so they're like, <laughs> so they're like weighted, like almost like kind of like marble balls. Yeah. Like most of them are like silver plated or gold plated women. Um, can put them inside of their vagina and they use their PC muscles to kind of like hold mm-hmm. them, but also because they're, um, uh, not, um, what's the word I'm looking for. They're not sort of like tethered to anything. The way that they kind of move around in the body can kind of create its own sensation. Okay. It can be like very pleasurable. Um, this is an item that like, again, we just carried for years 
They sold whatever they sold. It's kind of almost like you just, you know, you just had Benoit balls. I think it was 50 shades of gray, the first book or the second book, or I don't know. One of the books he puts Benoit balls inside of her, you know, and, and, and Benoit balls, there was no Benoit balls in the world. That's they were gone. So like crazy every how company that, in our yeah. industry sold out of Benoit balls. We could not get them in stock. Whatever you had in inventory was the sales that you could get. If you had a hundred in inventory, you sold out of a hundred. You could not get any more. And if you had a thousand, you sold out of a thousand. So you know, I think that I think that like society has become more sexualized. I think that that's a pretty fair statement, and I think that that's good and bad. I think that it can hurt relationships or in a strong relationship, if you bring some of this stuff into the bedroom, it can probably help it. Like you even mentioned before, like the industry that you see yourself in is not like a sex toys industry, but you're, you're in this sexual health and wellness industry. And I'm, I'm curious as to what you think about bringing some of this stuff into relationships versus what you hear people say about, Oh, we're over sexualized. There's too much access to porn, like so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, listen. I mean, we we said some, we've been saying something for years. I don't know if we coined it or if we adopted it from somewhere, but we we've our kind of like company thing has always been the couple that plays together stays mm -hmm. together. I think in relationships, it's really really important to be open about your sexual needs and desires, and to be open to receiving your partners back. And finding out if that if there if there needs to be middle ground or if you can make every hope and wish and dream come true, um, because sex is really important to us, and at the end of the day, it makes us feel really good. And if we're with someone who's willing to sort of explore all those little sexual corners mm -hmm. with us, is that the end all be all of your relationship? No, but I can tell you that if you are not with someone who's willing to do that, it is probably eventually going to be the end of the relationship in one way or another. Because there are a lot of people who are just extremely sexually dissatisfied with the people that they are with. And that creeps in to the other nooks and crannies of your relationship. Yeah, I, I believe that. And fully. When I look at our product, like if I just try to like, like just whittle it down to like it's a baseline thing is like, I believe that you are buying my product, whatever product it is, you are buying it to feel good. You are buying it to feel pleasure. If that pleasure is through pain. Mm -hmm. Or if that pleasure is through an experience you haven't experienced before, or if that pleasure is just good old fashioned fucking pleasure. Like you're buying my product to feel good. A woman is using a vibrator to orgasm with, and there, you know how many women can't achieve orgasm through penetration alone? Like most, isn't that, so like, isn't that I tell, a, a fact or that you, it's really hard. Oh no, it's a yeah. fact. It's like, and it's high. It's like in the sixties, yeah. you know, if not the low seventies. So, I always like I've been saying this for years like I've had friends that I grew up with that were like oh I'm gonna bring a vibrator into the bedroom like I should be enough and it's like first of all a what are you talking about <laughs> we're always different in the bedroom like you're not gonna come with the same a game every single time but like the, the point should be that you want your partner 
to, you know, uh, uh, find the same pleasure that you find. I don't want to say that the point is always to like achieve orgasm, but like more times than not, it is right. So if like, if your partner needs to bring something into the bedroom or wants to bring something into the bedroom to sort of help get there, then my feeling is like, absolutely. Well, I, I like that. Like, why would we, yeah. why would we not want well, I that? I think what happens you know? is like, people have, I don't know. It's like whether or not it's like uh, religion or how you want to work out and diet or the sports team that you're, you know, a supporter for people get these, these, these such these strict views on on what they believe in <laughs> they get very strict on what is right and what is wrong and life is black and white and you go into this relationship feeling that sex is only this one thing and then you don't communicate with your partner and then you don't want to you don't want to change the way you look at sex or you don't want to change the way you look at intimacy and then now with hypersexualized everything external going into your partner's head i feel like that's when they look elsewhere because they're not satisfied and also i mean you can look at it psychologically too so when we experience pleasure we achieve a new baseline of what pleasure is and this is why that honeymoon period with like a you know a partner that's a real thing so we find somebody new they're new exciting uh, we have sex with them and now it's exciting for a period of time, but then all of a sudden sex with them becomes a new baseline. So just, just mm -hmm. sex, quote unquote, is no longer as exciting as when we first met them in the first week, first month, whatever. So then we get bored and then we look elsewhere and then this is what breaks up relationships and this is what hurts people. So I think that this is actually a really smart thing because I don't know any relationship where it's just as exciting day one on year 30 and year 40. Like, let's be real. Like, this yeah. is a long ass period of time. Life no, is long. Of course. And I mean, even if you take sex out of it for a second, yeah. like, listen, everything is not, this is not news. Relationships are really hard. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a, a woman who I love, um, Esther Perel or Esther Perel. I, I don't know if I'm ever saying the, the last name right, but one of the things that she preaches more than anything is this like relationships just have different places in their lives. And two people are just going to grow inevitably at different times and different places. Mm -hmm. And if those two people can't sort of like find ways to grow together and sort of continue to meet in the middle on things or meet at a new destination, like inevitably probably that relationship is gonna run its course. We just see that happen a lot in the sex types of things. But I look at that because it, because it is important. Yeah, You know, a good healthy sex life with your partner and with yourself is important to like overall well-being so that's why and, and you can get into that like in the medical terms of like the endorphins it releases mm -hmm. the stress that it brings down like and there's a million of those reasons that like you can find right that like real doctors have like studied. yeah yeah um but just in like the in like the simplistic terms like that's why i do say that like we're in the sexual health and wellness because i think that like we're a, a product that we make helps people feel better. And it might be for a certain period of time. I mean, look at COVID, right? Like I joke, our, our company and our industry as a whole just skyrocketed during COVID. No kidding. Everyone's stuck at home. Okay. Yeah. But, but it's two people that are stuck at home, right? It's two people. It's the way I look at it. It's the person that's in the relationship that's stuck at home with the person that they're never stuck at home with for this long. 
And what are you gonna do? You're just gonna try to like spice things up. You're gonna try out new products. You're gonna bring sex toys in that you've never brought in before. You're just doing different shit because all of a sudden you're stuck with this person that like normally you go to work. Normally you're out of the house. You're with friends. You're with family. You're traveling. Yeah, but life like, ignores no, you from anymore. a shitty relationship, sexual or otherwise. Life <laughs> distracts you from all the stuff that you should be dealing with. COVID forces to deal with exactly broken relationships or you're the second or you're the second person yeah. which was the person that was alone you weren't with a partner and you were missing out on dates mm-hmm. and you're missing out on all this sort of stuff and maybe you don't have a friends with benefits maybe you were very covid safe or whatever and guess what you're doing you're online buying sex toys more of what you own and shit you've never bought before in your entire life because you're just like dude if i'm going out i'm going out feeling good yeah yeah and when everybody got their um, their government check in the mail, <laughs> yeah. biggest day we've ever had on our website. No kidding. This is what they go to. Biggest biggest week. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. I mean, it's because it's a hu- like. Listen, you're, you're human. This is like like a human function to be sexual, and you can't just ignore yeah, it for I mean, periods of time. It's from the dawn of time. Yeah. I mean, we we. I mean. Sex is survival. Yeah. That's it. I mean, we're not here without it. Where do you... We don't survive as a human race without it. So... So where do you see where do you see this industry going what do you what do you see as new on the horizon stuff that you know maybe is now taboo that people you think will adopt be more mainstream about like what <laughs> let's figure like what we're we gonna go have like sex robots like where are we gonna go with this like <laughs> yeah on one hand on one hand i hate where this industry is Why? going Why? Uh, because i hate because i hate where every industry is going i hate that we're becoming more sort of singular in our focus and like yeah, I see sex robots and I see less human interaction and I see more sort of like this like inward um inward behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so fucking yeah. stuck on these and everything else. So like I- I'm no saint here. Like our 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 industry and my company is gonna follow in certain directions that we know are products that might be necessary for like where we're kind of headed as like humans. Um, you know, strap on my helmet. Yeah. I'm going to have my product. It's going to be connected to a machine that talks to my robot and, you know, it's going to jerk me off and, <laughs> yeah. you know, like Demolition Man. Remember that yeah. movie? Um, yeah. It's going to be like, you know, I mean, like, I think there's, there's that segment that doesn't exist today and that, and that's one segment that's going to be there tomorrow or, when my company, when I send my company to, when I bring my kids yeah. in for the third generation, um, you know, that they'll be but like you, doing that. How do you, a, how do you know, you're, you're one of the people leading the way. It's going to be a tough question because like you just said, you just said you have to make products to keep up with consumer demand. But how, as one of the leaders in the industry, do you make sure that we don't kill human connection? If there is a sex robot and there is someone living in their mother's basement like they're never going to go out. They're never going to go on a date. They're never going to interact. Like this is going to be an issue, no? Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. 
fingerprint, tap, I'm inside. And honestly, I also feel way safer. It's got this awesome built-in camera. So whether it's a package delivery or late night Uber order, I see exactly who's there right from my phone. There are no more mystery knocks. And the best part, this thing was such a breeze to set up. There's no wires, there's no drilling. Uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees. So if you are done fumbling with your keys, because I definitely am, search for Eufy Video Lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Your front door, your sanity. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, it is. I mean, but it's, it's unavoidable. But to the to every yin is the yang, you know, like I do feel like if it's if it's either part of the pendulum swinging backwards or if it's just the part of our kind of civilization that stays mm-hmm. more on the side of craving human connection, like we'll still have our products that are meant for us to use together, mm-hmm. you know, for us to just use separately. I mean, there's a lot of products that we make right now. They're not going anywhere. You know, like they're not, they're not going anywhere. Like there's always going to be the, like, there's always going to be the five, six, seven different types of vibrators that you kind of need for different reasons. There's always going to be your simple C rings or lubricants or lotions, you know, like this type of stuff is not, it's not going anywhere, you know, it's going to get better, new ingredients, better material, um, you know, and then new inventions, like maybe just different types of vibration, mm-hmm. you know, different ways well, that vibration is, um, is translated to the body and to the body part. Yeah. Well, you even, you mentioned like, you know, between like the, the, the butt simulation, prostate simulation, you have the main squeeze that has like the pressure grip, like you, you start to see like small little things that improve your overall experience. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm. You know, just a couple more just thoughts to to sort of close this out. Just in 
you know, your particular position, you're a second generation uh, owner of this business. I'm very curious as to sort of bringing it back now to, to what you've built and what your, what your dad had started. When you, when you take over the reins of a business like this, like very bluntly, how do you not fuck it up? How do you not screw it up? How do you continue the legacy? Because I see so many people that jump into their father's or parents' footsteps and they don't run things right. And I'm just curious as a business leader, how did you manage this turnover? Obviously you're doing it successfully. It's been 20 plus years, but a lot of people, generational wealth does not stick around for long in most cases. Yeah. I think, well, A, I'll start with, you know, my dad. Like, I think I have to give a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of credit to him because when I came in, um, A, I didn't come in on day one. Like, he made me work here every summer, literally from like eighth grade going into ninth grade of like high school. No, okay. Um, and it wasn't because he wanted me to take over or because that was my destiny. It was like, you just got to have a fucking job. Like, he's blue collar, Midwestern person and he was just like you have to have a job like you're not going to be you know just fucking running around all summer like a little shit <laughs> um and i grew up way um more um privileged than he did you know so he was just like you know you can work for me or you can go to basket robbins or whatever you want to do you're going to work somewhere i was like yeah and I was like, well, it would be stupid to not work for you because I'll probably get away with more if I work for you, you know. Um, but I worked here every summer. I worked in the shipping department. I worked in the production department. I worked in our lab. I worked in receiving. I worked in purchasing. Um, so by the time I started here in 2004, um, I, I had been bred to basically do what I'm currently doing right now, which is um, you know, I, I know how the, I know, I knew how the company operated. I sort of knew the ins and outs. I had ideas of like what I thought wasn't right, at least to me, you know, and I came in from college with way more ideas and, and probably too many ideas, you know, and uh, for better or worse, I would say some, some, there's definitely a little bit of both. Like there were things that I just like, wasn't allowed to do early on, like maybe some big things that I, I I would have liked to have done that I was just kind of like, kind of said like no to, you yeah. know, and maybe those could have been wild failures. Um, I do also think crediting him again, and this is something that I'll always take in if my kids ever end up here or whatnot is like, you just do have to let people fail. You know, like you've got to let them sometimes make their own decisions and kind of grow from that and like realize why it failed and like hopefully learn from these mistakes. And so I, I believe that I was given, you know, rope mm -hmm. uh, to do that with. And it was like, you know, I say like never enough rope to like hang myself with, but like, you know, enough rope to be like, okay, huh, maybe that was, maybe I'm just like, a little rash here or I didn't look at the big picture. Um, and then like, I guess if I'll give myself some credit, you can, for, <laughs> you can 20 me, years later, you can for me, like, you know, I, 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 I feel like I, I worked hard here because like, 
I was always very um, concerned and aware of sort of like Nepo baby shit. Yeah. And so I do feel like when you come into an organization that's your family's, like it doesn't matter if you work 200 times harder than someone else. It's like that they're never going to see that. But for your own sort of self, it's like it breeds sort of like good tactics and good traits to sort of just like make sure that you're not kind of like freeloading. And um, also like, I think that for me, it was really important that I just like, I've always wanted to be like a macro manager and not a micromanager. And so like I've put together like a really good team and I really trust in them. And like this company is too big for one or two people to sort of like do everything. And so, you know, again, it's kind of shifting some stuff away from me, but just like finding the right people and putting the right people in the places of, 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 of power. Um, I've gotten lucky with some of those people and, and, and they've just helped me tremendously, you know, continue the organization you know, in the right thing. That's, I mean, that's probably the smartest, uh, it's the smartest piece of advice. Like you're never going to figure out everything yourself. And yeah, there's some, you can shoot big, you can fail a little bit, but if you find the right people, then you let them do their thing. You don't, you don't micromanage. And if it's the right people, they'll run with it. But also it's like, if they're the wrong people, get rid of them quick, but still if it's the right people. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I've run into yeah. that, you know, I mean, sure. I hired wrong people along the way and you're always going to do that. But identifying that and moving quickly is another thing that I would say is really, really, really important. Um, someone told me once, or maybe I read it somewhere. I don't know. But if you think it should be done eventually, it should be done now. Oh, I like that quote. I've never heard that quote, but I like it a lot. I like that a lot. Um, and yeah. there's a lot of times where I felt like I know I've got to do this but I just can't do it. And it's like 10 out of 10 times. If you know, it's got to be done eventually, just do it now. Um, Between working in the business as a young kid, going to school, did you find school was useful at all? That's a good question. Um, Textbook wise, no, but growth wise, yes. Growth wise, yes. I mean, I honestly can't say that there's anything I've brought to school here Mm -hmm. as a real like textbook example of something that I learned and then like completely applied here in like a real world. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Like how much real business is that? Like that was chapter seven that helped me right here today, you know, like, um, but I think like overall, And just like the experience that it taught me. And I might be a little unique. Like I went to a small school here in Los Angeles. I had a small group of friends. We were together from a very, very, very young age. And I was very, very, very comfortable. And I definitely look back at it and think to myself that I was like a very big fish in a very small pond. And so for me, school was more than like textbooks. It was like, I decided to go 3000 miles away to a city I did not know anyone in and to a school that I did not know anyone in. So just like choosing to do something like that for me, those particular four years of my life were like invaluable. 
I love that. And I think that, I think that your awareness of where school impacts like a business leader, I think that's important because I, I really, one message that I run into a lot is people over indexing sometimes on textbook education or even reading books or pod, listening to podcasts, which is all great stuff. And I would say that even if I was going to stack rank educational sources, I'd put, I'd put like podcasts and listening to business leaders like above school even then. But I would say that they still under index and underemphasize the importance of like just doing shit and doing the work and figuring it out and failing. Yeah. And I love that your dad, uh, you know, you said you could have worked anywhere, but your dad gave you the opportunity to work in the business. I think that is probably one of the smartest things you can do. Not everybody has that opportunity, but if you do have the opportunity to build something or work in something that you can eventually, you know, as an entrepreneur, try and run or, or build something similar to the work that you were working in as a, as a student, I think that's the best possible thing you could do to, to be successful because I mean, you can take any MBA in the world. It doesn't prepare you for real life. And it definitely doesn't prepare you for being an entrepreneur, founder, CEO, C-suite executive and all the shit you yeah, have to deal I with. Yeah, I think there's certain things within business that you really do need to go to school for, you know? And then there's like, if you're talking about sort of like you said, entrepreneurship or just sort of overall leadership, yeah. it's, it's, it's real life experience. Um, what would be one lesson you would tell your 20 year old self? slow down slow down okay why is that yeah i think like i said there were just some times where i feel like i when i was 20 i was rushing into things and needed to accomplish stuff really really quickly and if i didn't see things immediately it was like you know immediate gratification mm -hmm. um so i think like slow down just like build yeah you know like Things that I've done in the last couple of years here were things that I set into motion eight years ago. I love that. Smart. Um, last question. Uh, and you can answer in, in two ways. You can, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the question in a second, but I want you to answer in a business context and more on a personal level as well. So the question is, you've had an incredible career. At this point in your life, what does success mean to you? But think about like where you want the business to go. But also, when you're running something this size, no investors. You could do whatever you want with it. Where do you take yourself personally? So business-wise, what does success mean to me? So I feel like my industry is really on the cusp right now of, of, of a lot of change. And as that one generation is kind of you know, moving on, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity here within the industry for, you know, different opportunities to sort of maybe like merge, mm -hmm. acquire, sort of like roll up into sort of like bigger organizations. And I think we're like in like the infancy of like what other mainstream categories have done. So I feel like business wise for me, it's like I have a goal in mind that I've set for this company. Um, it's a number goal, mm -hmm. you know, of like, you know, that I would, that I would really like to hit within the next like five years, Okay, you know, and it's that number, I not going to say it, but I would say just to give you context, it's like triple what our current like revenue. Okay. Is. Good. And you're, and you just you know, deploy the traditional I, playbook, the, the playbook that you've seen in other industry. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. And so I feel like that's for me right now, that would be like. That's where I want to see the company in the next five years. Okay. Um, 
personally, honestly, man, I have two kids, five and two. And, uh, you know, like I'm at that level right now where it's like personal success is like happily providing for my family and just having like a happy, healthy family. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.